Good morning, everybody. Hey, as we get together here and as we look into God's Word this morning, I want you to remember that first thing I want to say, too, is if you didn't hear Pastor Phil's message last week, I want you to go listen to it. It it was great. It was was a a powerful message, and it's something we needed to hear. And and I really want to just point out this one thing that's going to bring us into today's message. And and the, the, the link, the bridge that Pastor Phil's gave us last week is that we boast in the Lord. The, the Corinthian church was, were boasting in men. They were boasting in Paul. They were boasting in Apollos. They were boasting in Peter. And this was their glory. This is what they, they, they clung to. And they were forgetting the power of God. They were forgetting the wisdom of God. And so they, become, they begin to cling to the things of the earth. And so that, that, one, that one thing, God takes the foolish things of the world. He takes the weak things of the world to confound the wise. He takes the weak to confound the strong. And so all of a sudden, we begin to understand God's economy, and that this is how God works. We always want God to work the way we want him to, don't we? Through power, through subjection, through overwhelming. And that is not how God does it. He does it subversively. He does it from the bottom up, not from the top down. He does it from inside of us, and then it's expressed through our lives. And so this morning, I want you to see that he brings us back, and now Paul really wants to expand on what what is Christian wisdom? What is God's wisdom? How do we understand God's wisdom? And I really want you to think about that. If you were to define it, if you were to paint me a picture of what God's wisdom looks like, what would that picture have in it? What would it look like? Who would be there? I'm going to submit to you this. It's 1 Corinthians 1.24. This is where we understand God's wisdom. He says, but to those who are called, that's us, right? To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So as Christians, we focus on the power of God, don't we? We look at the cross. We see Jesus defeating death. We see him paying our price. We see him um, being our sacrifice. We see that through the cross, he's redeeming us as God took Israel out of Egypt and he brought him out of the land of bondage into the promised land. God takes us out of a life of slavery to sin and he sets us free to live a life in the Holy Spirit. And we understand the power of God, don't we? It's obvious to us. It's, It's clearly on display. But the question is this, but do you also understand the wisdom of God? Because notice what it says, Christ is the wisdom of God. So the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, right, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, he is the wisdom of God. And now this is what the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand. Because they're taking the philosophies and the values of the world They're taking how the world sees the world and then applying this natural, unspiritual wisdom and they're applying it to the church. And Paul goes, no, 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 you can't do that. You're going the wrong way. We take the wisdom of Christ and we what? We apply it to our world. And we judge the world by his wisdom, not the world's wisdom, and then judge Christ. And that's the mistake. So Paul begins, let's, let's just go and get into it. It's the wisdom of the kingdom versus the wisdom of the world. Verses 2 through 8, look what he says. Yet the mature who, uh, yet, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, all right? Although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age 
who are doomed to cast away. We impart a secret wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul's saying, okay, you look at the rulers of this world. First of all, he says this. To the mature believer, we impart wisdom. We impart wisdom to you, but here's the question, are we willing to receive it? And that when I mean by receiving it, do I value it? Do I look at it? I remember I was reading um, Joy, no, Divine Conspiracy years ago, and Dallas Willard said this. He said, we look at Jesus and we see him as a great moral teacher. We see him as the savior of the world. But do you see Jesus Christ as the smartest man that ever lived? Think about it. Would you look at Jesus and say, oh, Socrates, Plato, Jesus is above them. So often we confine Jesus to a very sub-category sub, uh, when it comes to like a philosophy or, or learning. And we don't look at the teachings of Christ and the way he lived as being of wisdom to us. That he was the smartest man that ever lived. And here's the thing. So the world looked at Jesus. He looked, they looked at his message and they said, foolishness. They looked at his way of life and they said, folly. And they were threatened by it so much that they do what? They conspire, they team up, they ally themselves together, religious leaders, the Jew with the Rome, right? And they say, crucify him. That's what the world thought of the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. They said, crucify him because it's foolishness and it's folly. Now, here's what Paul says there. He says, again, it's not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of this age. Look back at chapter 1, verse 20. Paul asks this question. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? He says this. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Why? Because the world, through their wisdom, did not know God. So I want you to keep that in mind in the back of your head. We'll look at that in a second. The mature believer knows God because he is spiritually born again, and he's come into a living relationship with, with Yahweh. He's come into a living relationship through the mediation and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He now has communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and his life is now lived in that relationship, and through that relationship, he relates to the world. The believer, we relate to the world through our relationship to God. And now that wisdom's gonna be imparted to us, and the world can, just does not comprehend God. Do you understand that? He is beyond their grasp. His values and his way, it's just they can't, what they want from the wisdom they have is what? Power, wealth, pleasure, ease, comfort. This is what the world thinks wisdom gives you, but that's not what wisdom gives you because that's not the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of this world. Now, Paul says the wisdom of this age. What's the problem with it? It's earthly, it's human, it's temporary, and he says it's going to pass away. It has a shelf life. There's a date on it that's going to expire, and it's going to be exposed for the foolishness that it is. Now, remember what James says about human wisdom, or earthly wisdom. He says a few things. James 3.15, we looked at it a couple weeks ago. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly unspiritual, and notice this last one, demonic. Demonic. So again, and I want you to think back. What was the promise that the serpent gave Eve? You will know what? Good and evil. 
So what does that mean? You become the judge of good and evil. And we're seeing that in the world today, aren't we? As this world spins more and more out of control, we begin to see the wisdom of the age clearly on display. It is carnal. It is unspiritual. What does that mean? It's not, there's no connection to God in that wisdom. There's no thought of God. There's no fear of God. There's no love of God in the wisdom of the world. There isn't. It's based on desire, pride, ego. It's based on the color of our skin. It's based upon the gender that we're born into. It's based upon the country that you happen to be born into. That's the wisdom of this world. And so the wisdom of this world is all based upon what they know, what they feel, and what they want. And so it's limited in its, in its ability to deliver what we want. It never gives what it promises, but it has an idea. And it seeks it, but it's so bound. And then he points to the rulers of the age. And he says, look at them. I mean, come on. Have you ever watched a history on Rome? And if you watch how families, these aristocratic families, they would just murder each other. Is that what you want to be? You want that power? Watch your back. You get the seat? Watch your back. Because someone else wants it. And if you watch any movie or any, um, anything upon like the seats of power, there's always somebody there willing to kill you to get it. That's the wisdom of the age. That's the wisdom of this age. Now, here's what I want you to see. How did the rulers, how did the rulers of the age treat Jesus? When they were confronted with the Messiah, when they had to look eye to eye with Jesus, how did they treat him? I'm going to give you guys three quick examples. They, again, and we know how they treated him. In their ignorance, because they could not comprehend him, they could not understand him, he would not be what they wanted him to be, he would not do what they wanted him to do, so what do they do? Kill him. They killed him. Now, think about this. The Sanhedrin, the religious council over all the religious life of Israel, what do they do with Jesus? They follow him around, they try to trap him for three years in his words, in his actions, and every time he confounds them. They would go away speechless. But let me ask this question. Did it change their hearts? Think about it. He, he's like opening the eyes of the blind, and they're like, the devil. He's forgiving people. Oh, you touched an unclean person. Oh, what are you doing talking to that woman? What are you doing being with that Gentile? What do they do with Jesus? They falsely accuse him. Why? Because they were scared of losing their power. They were scared of losing their position. I'm going to tell you something. As a mature believer, it's the prayer that Tony just gave. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer of a mature, a mature believer. We're not grappling with God. We're not negotiating with God to get our will done. We come with an open heart, confessing, Lord, this is my desire Lord, I long for my son to be healed. I long for my marriage to be saved. I long, Lord, but not my will, but yours be done. And that means this, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And every, I believe this, every Christian life comes to that point a number of times, doesn't it? Where something in you that wants to live, something in you that wants to hold on, something in you that doesn't want to give it up, and God's saying, give it to me. And we say, Lord, I don't want to give it. I don't want to give it. I want to keep it. But we say this, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer of a mature believer. But the Sanhedrin, they lie, they steal, they cheat, what? To keep power. 
He goes before Pilate. What does Pilate find in him? No fault. Pilate's going, this guy's done nothing. You want me to kill him for what? You guys are jealous of mine. He saw everything. Pilate was not a fool. He saw right through them. He saw their jealousy. He saw they were falsely accusing him. He said, I find no fault in this man. But what does he do? He says he flogs him illegally, and then he has him executed. Why? To please people. To please people. Does it sound like our politicians today? Whatever's expedient, whatever keeps me in power, I'll do it. I'll do it. Whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. What's expedient? What's expedient? What lets me keep what I have? That's what, that's what Pilate did. But then, remember this? As Pilate finds no, no, um, no fault in him, and he hears he's from Galilee, he goes, oh, send him to Herod. Herod's the, let him deal with him. What does Herod do? We know this much about Herod. He had already killed John the Baptist. Why? Because John called him out in his sin. He had his brother's wife, and John called him out in his sin. I, I, love, I love John. Because, see, truth is truth. And as believers, I don't care who's in power. I don't care what, what um, party they're from. If someone's in sin, we say it's sin. We don't justify it. We don't act like it didn't happen. We don't try to say they're lying. If it's obvious and they've done it, then we say it's wrong. We don't put a blanket over it and sweep it under the rug. We, of all people, bring to light truth, no matter what the cost. But Herod kills John in a moment of lust, right? He makes a dumb promise in the moment of lust. And then Jesus comes to him. Remember this. He thought Jesus was John reborn. Remember that? Oh, it's John. He's come back from the dead. This guy's performing miracles. That was his first thought. But he also knew Jesus was a miracle worker. So he comes and he says, perform a miracle for me. And man, you can see Jesus going, oh, you're not going to perform a miracle for me? And what do they do? They mocked him. Folly to them, wasn't it? Put him in a gorgeous purple robe. Mocked him for being what? The king of the Jews. And that's today what the world still does with Jesus, doesn't it? They mock his teaching. They mock his sacrifice. They mock his life. They condemn it. They say it's evil. They say you have no right to tell us what's right and wrong. You have no right to show us what we need to do. We're the masters of our destiny. And he confronts the world for the way it is. Why is that? Paul tells us in verse 14 of chapter 2. He says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. I want you to think about that because I believe this. I believe that the Spirit of God, he goes after every man, woman, and child on this planet. He opens our eyes. He convicts us of our sin. He calls out to us to follow Christ. And we have a choice to make when we are confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you guys something. Look back on your life. Before you gave, surrendered yourself to Christ, how many times did the Spirit open your eyes and you said, no? Be honest. How many times was there that conviction? How many times you knew your heart was beaten and the Spirit's going, repent, repent. You know you're doing wrong. Repent. And you're like, no, I don't want to give this up. I'm scared of what my friends are going to think. I might lose this relationship. I, I might, and the Spirit's going, whatever, Come, follow me. How many times? I believe the Spirit's doing that, but look what he says. He says the natural man, the carnal man, the person who's unregenerate, not born again, he, what does he do? He resists the Spirit. 
He can't process it. It's foolishness to him. He doesn't understand this because what? They're spiritually discerned. Uh, you have to be spiritually alive to understand who Jesus Christ is. You have to be spiritually alive. And remember, what do we do? He says they don't accept it. Look what, Paul, look what Stephen says in Acts 7 to that same Sanhedrin who crucified Christ. He says this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. As Paul pleaded before Festus and King Agrippa there in Acts chapter 26, they're going, Paul, you've lost your mind. You, all you're learning, you've lost your mind, Paul. Are you trying to convince me to be a Christian? And Paul's like, sure am. Except for these chains, I want you to be exactly like I, like I am. And they're like, he's losing it. How many of your friends think you're crazy? <laughs> Did I have my friends? When I gave my life to the Lord, they'd rather see me drunk and high than in a church worshiping God. They, they did. Very uncomfortable that I was cleaned up. Very uncomfortable that I was sober. They're like, we liked you better when you were drunk. You were funny. We liked you better when you were drunk. You're a lot better to be around. And I'm like, I'm finally set free, man. You're not happy for me? I'm going to die if I keep living that life. They didn't, oh, I don't care, you're making me uncomfortable now, Armando, so bye. They thought Paul was a fool. They thought Stephen was a fool. But they stood for the truth because their, eye, their eyes were opened to who Christ was. And their eyes were opened. Why? Because it was spiritually discerned. And remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's why you couldn't discern it. You couldn't see it. You couldn't hear it. I, and I've, I've shared this with you guys before. I, I would encourage you, if you've never done this, go online, go to YouTube, and put in people that are born colorblind when they get their glasses that help them see the colors. Or a child that's born deaf and he gets a hearing aid. And they're just kind of living their life. And I, you see it, whether, whether it be an adult or a child, they get those glasses. And they get, these, they get the box, it's a gift, and everybody's watching them. And usually they have like balloons, right? Because they want all the colors. They want to see all the colors. And they'll be looking and look at the glasses and they'll put them on and they'll go. And every single time they take the glasses off and they start crying because of the beauty of color. Or the child, the first time they turn on that hearing aid and the, mom, the mom's going, hi, baby. And she's like, like it's, like, it's almost too much. Like, oh, you know. And then the baby smiles, and the baby begins to cry. And of course, mom's bawling, dad's bawling. Didn't you feel that way the first time you understood who God was? All the time he was right there. All the time he was calling out to you. All the time, all the colors of the world were right before you. And all of a sudden, you receive Christ, and you're born again. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, the world comes alive. You hear the music of the wind. You feel the presence of God in the warmth of the sun. All of a sudden, life now has purpose. Life now has something beyond your own desires. And it's so great and it's so powerful because you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. And the carnal man cannot accept it. He rejects it and he thinks it's foolish because they have to get drunk. They have to sleep around. They have to chase after money. They have to chase after power because those things make them feel alive until it doesn't. 
And we, Paul's going, oh, beloved, come on, Corinthians, don't go back to the foolish wisdom of the world. You have the wisdom right in front of you and the person and work of Jesus Christ. So look what he back, what he says there in verse six, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now, I want to make this clear. There's not two different classes of Christians. I believe it this way. When you're walking in the Spirit, you're mature. When you're walking in the Spirit, when you submit your life to the Spirit, when you obey the Word of God and you submit your life to the Holy Spirit, if we say this to the kids, you say it to our kids all the time, would you act your age? Right? Don't we say that to kids? Even our adult adult children, act your age. Why? Because they're not acting mature. Right? And when we walk in the flesh, you're acting very immature. Paul says, grow up. Hebrews says, grow up. Stop being given, driven by the flesh. Stop giving in to your desires. Get, submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. That's an act of the will. Quit going along with the flesh. Because as a believer, we know this. You have been sanctified. You have been called. You are called saints, so act like it. Stop Stop, because there's a fight in us, isn't there? The fight against the flesh and a fight to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. It's a fight, and it's an everyday decision. It is. And I would, say, I would encourage you in this way, give yourself to the Holy Spirit. Invite him to lead and guide your life as you open the word. He is your teacher, not me. But Jesus says, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all the truth. He will teach you things concerning me. Go to school every day and sit at, that, at the feet of Christ and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. And then you'll become spiritually wise. Because I want you to see something. A believer is a person who has received something of the fullness of Christ and goes on receiving it increasingly. Remember what he says, he imparts wisdom. So it implies, he implies something like, Paul's like, I want to give you wisdom. And then we have to say, hey, give it to me. He imparts it and our job is to receive it, to receive it the heart and the mind of God, we see who Jesus is in his power, his holiness, his mercy, and his love. The Apostle John would say it this way in John 1, 14 and 16. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. See, when we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are born again, but that doesn't stop there. Now we live a life where grace upon grace, we receive it. We receive it. We don't earn it. We receive it. It's, It's what he wants to lavish upon our lives. We experience salvation. We experience redemption. We know of our adoption. We walk a life that is filled with his mercy, his grace, and his love. He lavishes it upon us. And the thing I want you to understand is, I asked you this question before, what does the wisdom of Christ look like? We talked about this on Tuesday with the guys. What does a godly, mature person look like? We started talking about it. Humility, service, generosity, forgiveness, grace. That's what a mature believer looks like. And we are so adolescent, when we think for a moment that a Christian can be defined by rules, that is not life. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that. Thank you, Brother Pharisee. 
Like, thank you for helping the Holy Spirit. He does a pretty good job of convicting me. I don't think he needs your help, right? So many Christians, we do that to each other. We condemn people. And it's like, who are you? You know what? I did that for years, and I repented of it. And what I want to do now, I've had people come into my office, and they'll confess their sin. They'll be weeping. And they're like just bawling. And they'll look at me, and, I, and I'm like, okay, well, you confessed it. Okay, repent. Don't do it again, bro. You're forgiven. But you don't understand. I just did. I'm like, yeah, I heard you the first time, bro. Uh, you confess it? Yeah. Then the Bible tells me you're forgiven, but you don't understand. I feel so terrible. Do you trust Christ? Do you trust Jesus Christ that what he did on the cross is good enough for that sin? Well, of course, then receive it. But, like, dude, stop. Listen to me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you are forgiven. Now get out of my office, please. I heard, I heard your story five times now. I love you, man. I don't look at you any different. I don't look at you any different. Walk on, brother. Walk on. And he's like, you're serious? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm forgiven. I said, yes. God's good. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Grace upon grace. But the wisdom of Jesus, you guys, it's in this statement. I've not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. And they're like, give your life. Serve? That's the wisdom of God. Because in service, it's in giving that the Bible says what? That we receive. Did you hear that? It's in giving that we receive. It's in forgiving that we are forgiving. It's in loving that we are being loved. This is the economy of God. The world tells you to take. The world tells you to take and take and take. And God says, give it away, give it away, give it away. This is the wisdom. You want to be great? I want to be great. Where? In the world or in the kingdom? If you want to be great in the world, then climb that ladder. Knock everybody down that gets in front of you and you take what you want. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, in the eternal city of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, be a servant. Do you see why the world looks at it as foolishness? Do you see why they can't comprehend it or understand it? It just makes no sense to them. It's the dumbest thing. It's dumb. I, was at a, I was helping out at a party the other day and this person said this to me. Oh, look at you being such a good little servant. I was offended. I'm not going to lie. I got a little little bristled. And I said, aren't you a Christian? Yes. Aren't we all supposed to be servants? And he's all, like, I want to say a lot more, but I won't. I'll I'll just keep serving. But I want you to really think about it, you guys. This is the wisdom. It's Jesus. It's the life he lived. It's loving the marginalized. It's going after the diseased. It's forgiving the woman caught in adultery. It's saying to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's looking at Peter after he denied him and says, come home, Peter. That's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of God. It's blessing the little children. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom? Become like a child. No rights. No rights. You surrender your rights to me. I'm your shepherd. I'll protect you but you follow me. This is the wisdom, and this is what the Corinthian church was forgetting. They were letting their ego, and they're going, no, 
Paul's cooler than Apollos. No, Apollos is much more eloquent than Paul. Oh, Peter was a real disciple. Paul's a fake one. And there, Paul's going, oh my gosh. What am I going to do with you guys? Stop it. Look at Jesus. That's wisdom. You keep thinking you're going to find wisdom in logic and philosophy and rhetoric. I'm telling you, you find God's wisdom in how Jesus Christ lived his life, how he loved the unlovable, how he forgave sinners, how he went after everyone. I told you, I was watching the Jesus movie, you know, the old Camps Crusade one when I was in Hungary. We're showing it in a town. We had it on a big screen. And it's cool. I'm cool with Jesus. But then there's a scene, and it scandalized me. He's sitting on a staircase, like 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 the Spanish steps, and he's sitting on these steps, and he's surrounded by prostitutes, and they're laughing. And I went, oh, no, no. He, those women are women of ill repute. He can't be laughing with them. That's what I thought. It bothered me. And then Jesus goes, and you're better? I'm like, no, I'm worse. I came for them too, Armando. Who do you think you are? Rock my world. That little scene, I was like, no, no. You know what's cool? I had a a, a Budapest church in Hungary. If you're in Budapest, there's prostitutes everywhere, especially in the 90s, everywhere. Male prostitutes, female prostitutes. One of the men in the church, he owns a restaurant. He went to my buddy Greg, and he says, I got an idea. I feel called to do a ministry. What's the ministry? I want to take a meal to these prostitutes. He's like, that'd be great. He goes, no, 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 no. You didn't hear me out. I'm going to get a table. I'm going I'm to get my, I'm going to dress up in a tuxedo. I'm going to get a table. I'm going to put um, a candle on it with flowers. I'm going to go up to where they're standing and I'm going to say, the Christ has invited you to a meal because I'm going to give them the best meal I can make them. And I want to show you how much Christ values them. He's like, man, go for it. He goes, Armando, these women would be weeping because no one ever looked at them with value. They look at them as a product to be bought and sold. You think some of those girls came to Christ? That's the wisdom of God. Do you see it now? So quit looking at this world and quit looking at the news and quit looking at movies and quit looking at TV shows and quit reading the the best self-help helper. You want wisdom? Look at Jesus. You want to live a life of power? Serve. You want to live a life of love? Love the least of these. And when you look into the face of someone you think is beyond hope of salvation, look at him again, and you'll find the face of Jesus Christ looking right back at you. If you dare to look. That's the wisdom of God. And thank God for that, because I was those people. I was the alcoholic. I was the drug addict. I was the flunk out. I was the hopeless one. And Jesus says, I want you. Lord, who are you pointing at? I feel like you're pointing at me. I am pointing. Are you sure? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I do? Yeah, died for that. Follow me. I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming. This is the wisdom of God. Now, as we come into this wisdom, look what he says next. But as it is written, verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So what's the mandate for the mature believer? Love God. Love him. It's the first commandment. Because if you love God, all of a sudden, all these wonderful 
gifts that he wants to lavish upon your life, they become evident to you. Why? It happens through love into loving God. These things God has revealed to us, how? Through the Spirit. For the, I love this. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? This is a, this is a, a text for the, our belief in the Holy Trinity, by the way. That's your doctrinal point for the day. Read it again. And he says this. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now... We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand, look what he says, the things freely given us by God. So the spirit comes, I want you to see this, and he takes the deep, I don't know about you, I have a terrible time expressing my heart towards people. I'm just numb, scared, maybe I might be rejected, very uncomfortable, but I love intensely. I'm, I'm a violent lover in my heart. Coming out of my mouth and out of my actions is a little bit more difficult. Now, but in, in, in my wife, through 25 years of marriage, she gets a little bit of it. I, I'm, I'm comfortable enough with her to share my heart and how much I love her. And she understands how I speak it. But God comes and he has these thoughts towards us and he has these feelings towards us and the spirit understands them, the depth and the intensity of them. And the Spirit comes to us, and He opens our eyes to begin to comprehend what it is to be a child of God, what it is that God has for a believer as we follow Him. But it's the Spirit of God. Notice what He says there again. He takes it, and it's not the Spirit of the world. So do not for a second, do not for a second say, God loves me if He gives me this Cadillac. All right? God loves me if he gives me my house and my dreams. God loves me if he gives me a fat bank account. That's the the idea of love in the world, isn't it? That's the idea of love in this world. But what's God's idea of love? How does he display it? I'll tell you one thing, first and foremost, he sees you. Not for who you're trying to be, he sees you for who you are and he accepts you. He accepts you. He sees you. You don't have to hide like Adam and Eve did. You don't have to put a mask on like the Pharisees did. There's a song by Rick Elias. He passed away a few years ago, brain cancer. But his song goes, I am stripped, I am naked, I am humbled, but I'm not afraid. As he stood before the living God. Why? Because he finds grace in the eyes of God. That's why. Grace in the eyes of God. Of God. So now the Spirit comes that we might, what could he say, the last verse, that we might understand the things freely given to us. We impart words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The depths, and the depths of God, that means his heart, and the thoughts of God are revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. There's limitations to understanding God just in creation. We understand God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit applies that work to our hearts. He causes us to be born alive, and then we begin to understand how much God loves us, how much God cares for us. We begin to understand our future with the Lord, and we see ourselves as eternal beings, not temporal. We don't see ourselves as citizens of this world. We see ourselves as citizens of the kingdom. We don't live for this world. We live for the kingdom of God, and this is what 
what the Spirit of God does with us. He takes us from loving and putting our roots so deeply into this world that we cannot reach up to grab hold of what God wants to give us. But once we let go of what we're trying to hold on to for our identity, for our comfort, for our peace of mind, once we let go of those things and we let God truly embrace us, man, then we begin to understand what it is are his depths and his heart for us. And here's the thing about it. Without the Spirit enabling us and empowering us, we cannot perceive, we cannot comprehend who this great God is. We just can't, we can't comprehend it. But man, have you guys, I did this one time. I was at a, we're having, I have a church in Omaha. We're having dinner. Um, the pastor was sitting here. I was next to him and this young Christian he asked, hey, about my devotions, what should I do for my devotions? And I, and I get nervous at these questions because it's my, it's my pattern. It's what I do. And so the guy, Eric, who's a pastor, goes, Martin, what do you do? And I go, hey, man, this is what I do, but I don't want to put it on you. I read three chapters a day, and I pray for as long as I can pray, and that's how I start my day, and that's how I go about it. I work my way through the Bible in a year, and that's been my habit now for about the last, I don't know, 15, 18 years at that time. Okay, but I felt bad. Because I'm thinking, this guy's going, what? Like, I have to do all that? No, I don't know what you got to do. So I go, Eric, what do you think? He goes, I'm going to make it more simple for you. And he goes, um, I asked a teacher this, and he went to Wheaton. He goes, and I asked a teacher this, and the teacher said, just give, one, give God one adulterated, unadulterated moment a day, one minute a day. Just start there. Don't pray. Just recognize his presence. And he goes, and let's see what God reveals to you. Whatever God reveals to you, you do that. And I'm like, psh, psh, amateur, you know? What kind of devotional life is that? You can't measure that. You can't tell people how you read your Bible for an hour today and how you prayed for two hours a day. How are you supposed to measure that? So I'm in the park one day. I took my dog for a walk. It's snowing. I'm all in my park. I'm out there. My dog's loving the snow, and I'm just doing it out of guilt, right, because I'm not going to be with him all day. So I'm like this in the park, and I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm going to give you this minute. Close my eyes. I said, God, thank you presence of God was so heavy. I said, Lord, please stop. I can't take it. And I got to go to work. We'll do this again tomorrow. You know, whatever. But God's there. When's the last time you recognized it? When's the last time you said, you are here, and you're big, and you're mighty, and you're loving, and you're accepting, and you're gracious? Wow, Lord, I want to be like you. We received the Spirit. We are born again. We now, we now have the right to walk no longer as slaves of the flesh, but in fellowship and in communion with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals to us our adoption. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons of God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is what the Spirit reveals to us. And if you're trying to earn this, could you imagine if you have a child or if you have a nephew or a niece, if you have someone you love that you're just connected to, right? There's just a connection. I had this with some of my nieces and my nephews. There's just a connection. I love them. I just love them. Have this connection with some of my cousins. But we're blood. We are family. And could you imagine if one of my nieces or nephews or even my own son said, Dad, just, I just want to earn this relationship with you, it would break my heart. Well, earn? You're not getting out of this, man. We're blood. We're family. 
This is the love I have for you. It's not earned. It's just natural. And do you understand that's God's love for you? And seeing if you know God loves you that way, are you going to judge your brother? Are you going to look at a Christian and look down on them when you understand God's love for you? Because you want to talk about theology or end times or whatever else you're preoccupied with? Instead of realizing that you're not of this world, that you're of the kingdom of God, and we're going to live in the city of the king, and this guy's going to be my neighbor? Think about it. Love him. Spirit's going, you're a child of God. He takes what God wants to give us, and he lavishes it upon us. Paul says this in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, who has, given, uh, who has been given to us. This is the love that the Father bestows upon his children. Paul would say in his prayer for the Ephesians, chapter 3, and he's talking about God's love, he goes, may you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So let me ask this question. If you're filled with the fullness of God, what's going to come out of your life? What is it? What's going to come out? Love. Love, 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 love. Just can't help yourself. Just got to love people. It's your goal. It's your, it's your desire. You're going to pick up the weary. You're going to chase after the backslidden. You're going to go and set free the captives. Why? Because I love them. You know, there's a picture in my wedding album. My dad is, my mom is a, my mom is a type of love that is, I'll, I'll serve you and I'll give you whatever I have, but she's not one with words and she's not the most affectionate, but she loves intensely. My dad, on the other hand, very verbal and very affectionate. If you look at my wedding album, you'll find a picture of my relationship to my father there pretty easily. It's me and him, and he's going to kiss me, and I'm doing this. <laughs> he's like, he's grabbing my, my large head, and he's trying to pull it towards it, and I'm like, Dad, stop! But you know what? I feel that way with God sometimes. Armando, let me love you. Not right now, Armando. Let me love you. Let me give you a kiss. No, you're going to embarrass me. You know, like when your mom and dad dropped off at school and then you'd embarrass, they'd embarrass you. I love you. I love you, schnooky, you know. Stop it. God pours out his love. And then he says this, John would say this, speaking when Jesus said, come to me all who are thirsty and drink. And out of your life will flow torrents of living water. And then John said this in verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom he whom those who believed in him were what? To receive. There's that word again, receive. He imparts wisdom. We receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John, the gospel, breathes his Spirit upon his disciples, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait till the Spirit is endued upon you in power, but receive. Most of our lives, you guys, here's our mistake. We continue to try to earn the love and affection of God. So we don't receive anything because we're waiting to earn Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? 
But once you allow God to love you, once you allow God to help you to see him for who he is, how? Look at Jesus. Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What are you looking for? I'm right here. You want to know how God acts? Look at me. But you're nothing that I thought he would be like. That's why Philip, Philip couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. God loves you. Armando, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but he does, and he died for it. That's how much he didn't want it to separate you from him. He saw it already. Because, yeah, I know, I took care of that. You guys ever been to a restaurant and they took care of your bill? You go up. I, this has happened to me a number of times. And I'll go up and then like, oh, your bill's paid for. Who paid for it? A friend of mine will be in the corner. And I always say this. If you ever pay my bill, this is what I'm going to tell you. I wish I would have known you were going to do that. I would have ordered more. <laughs> and God says, yeah, put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. Put him on my tab, anything he wants. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Paul closes by saying this the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he but it is himself to be judged by no one. So what happens? The spiritual person conforms their life to the image of God. We are renewed by the existence of the Spirit in our life who turns our lives and expresses His life through us. Our lives are an expression of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we allow Him to guide us, to rule us, we have the ability now to judge things correctly because we're judging them by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Not by the flesh. And that means I'm not going to judge them by what your standards are. I'm not. I can't do that. We're all, on, we're all on sanctification road, aren't we? And we're all in different places, man. And some people have freedoms you don't have. And you have freedoms I don't have. I'm not gonna judge you for your freedoms. You stand before God just like I will, but I'm not gonna stand before you. I submit myself. I'll tell you right now, we are a board-run church. I submit to the board wholeheartedly without question. I'm here to serve. I'm not here for them to serve me. We're here to serve you. And we judge things correctly because we have the Spirit of God in us. So we don't allow the world to judge us. When the world tells us we're wrong, when they tell us we're bigoted, when they tell us we're homophobes, when they tell us we hate, no, we don't. You're judging us by your standards. We have a different idea of love. But it doesn't mean I don't love you. I mean, I don't agree with what you're doing, but I love you very much. And I'm willing to tell you the truth. That's how much I love you. Whether you like me or not, that's your choice, brother. Do you know how many friends I've had get mad at me? And all I do is try to love them. And I don't even say, I won't even say it, I don't agree. They just, they, look at, they know I'm a pastor and they know I'm a Christian and it just rubs them wrong. That means you, no, don't do that. That's very unfair. Would you want me to do that to you? Well, no, of course not. Then don't do that to me. Have I done anything to be unloving towards you? Have I said anything unloving towards you? Have you, anything you've needed, I've been there, have I not? So why would you say that of me? But I'm not gonna stop loving. I had a friend of mine, he's a lover of people. I mean, he loves, he has a gift of loving people. And so he, he was a hugger. He hugs everybody. Men, women, children, babies, presidents, kings, whatever. He'll hug you. He don't care. I've seen him hug kids 
football players in high schools, and he melts them. And at first they resist him. He hugs them, and they're like, like, what are you hugging me for? And they come back the next week, and they're a little bit looser. By the third week, they're like, hey, oh, and I'm like, how does he do that? Because to the pure, all things are pure. So anyways, he hugs everybody. And he, I go, what do you do if a woman takes your affection wrong? What if they think you're kind of liking them? I go, you probably have to stop. He goes, no, I don't. I rebuke them. He tells them, he goes, I'll say this in front of their husbands. I'll say this in front of my wife. I say, hey, you don't, don't take that hug more than what it is. I love you like a sister, and I'm not going to stop, but you need to stop. And I'm like, you do not. He goes, oh, yes, I do. He goes, I'm not going to stop loving anybody, but they need to get their minds out of the gutter. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not there yet, bro. I'm just, I'm just not there yet. But he wouldn't. And he goes, oh, yeah, what happens after that? He goes, okay, we hug, and it's pure. It's a gift. It really is. But it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you this week to allow the Holy Spirit to convince you of the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that would convince you to serve others more than yourself. To give freely. To love, to love unbridled. To see the person you think is so beyond your God's reach and you find the face of Jesus in that person. Would you allow the Spirit of God to open your eyes? Would you allow the Spirit of God to open your eyes to the beauty and the wonder that's all around us? Because here's our dichotomy. We behold the wonder, but we still see the sadness, don't we? We still see the brokenness, but we have hope. We have hope that one day God is going to redeem all this and set everything right. So I don't look on it in despair. I look on it with that flicker of hope, saying nothing's beyond you, my Lord. And this is my challenge. Would you let God love you this week? Would you let him love you? Because he does. Let's repair our hearts for communion. Father, as we come before you now at your table, we hold the living elements of the display of your great love. Lord, your body broken, your blood spilt. And you would just say, well, we would ask you, why would you do that? And your reply would be, because I love you. Lord, may we be...